It is our uh, Techie Talk time here on Quincy Access Television with State Representative Techie Chan of Quincy. Hey, Techie, how are you? Hey, Joe. Good to see you again on this cloudy Thursday morning. Yes, this will be our last Techie Talk of January 2023, probably. Yeah, unless you know, want to do a weekend swing by. <laughs> hey, speaking of weekends, how was your uh, Lunar New Year uh, celebration? It was good. We had a very quiet uh, New Year's Eve dinner with just immediate family at the house. Everyone did potluck. We all brought something. And uh, we did a Zoom call globally with the family on my mom's side. And then we had WhatsApp, uh, best wishes going around the world with, with the different family members. So uh, it was um, it was a little, uh, I wouldn't say like downer, but uh, you know, it was just quieter. Um, but I mean, the best part was actually having a couple hours on a Zoom call, listening to what is going on in other people's lives. And not everybody could be in the Zoom call. So their parents or their their cousins or whomever would update us on the missing relatives on the Zoom gotcha. call. Which, again, if you're not in the Zoom call, <laughs> your other family member will update us. Um, but uh, no, it's still lovely to do. And and uh, the, the video format, as you all know, uh, you know, adds that element you wouldn't get on a conference call. Yeah, that's true. Or or a letter or a card. Um, curious, what's the uh, the overall kind of sentiment in China? The first really Lunar New Year um, since the COVID restrictions were lifted. Well, the infection rate is quite real. I had a uh, my uh, uncle's goddaughter was in Shenzhen. She's from Shenzhen, so she uh, took the first opportunity to see her parents and her family. She hasn't seen in almost uh, two plus years. Uh, as she goes to university here and uh, the whole family got COVID. Mm. Uh, some of the older members had a little harder time. Some of his cousins, her cousins had a little bit harder time, but they all lived through it. Um, they are fully vaccinated under the Chinese uh, vaccination process, but um, it wasn't fun. Um, people are still extremely cautious out there. People are spending heavily. Um, people are trying to go elsewhere. Um not just international travel, but anywhere else travel. Uh, I think everybody on this call will fully understand what I'm saying. Mm. And, um, you know, and uh, they're just kind of riding out this wave. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Uh, and uh, I see some of the concerns of, of the neighboring areas, like, you know, Macau and Hong Kong both have access to all Western vaccines and European vaccines. And uh, the vaccine ratio is okay. It's actually we actually have a better vaccination rate than than uh, Hong Kong. Macau is actually very vaccinated among its population. It's again, it's a very small island of five thousand people, so it's much easier to deal with. Um, mm. But I mean, the casinos are open. People are partying. Uh, people are moving around, and as you may have seen in the news, uh, given the fact that nearly half of the country of one point nearly four billion people are moving around uh, for a two week time period during the New Year, Lunar New Year. You know, obviously, COVID follows the movement. Right. Yeah, you can almost you know graph it really on a on a chart uh, as people go. So so goes the virus. Yeah, and the problem over there is is a testing problem, right? There's no more a government testing as crazy as the mass testing was. They had actually very good statistics, and uh, it's not the same as the situation in the U.S. where a combination of prior infections and higher quality vaccines. People are testing at home, but people do still get the PCR test if they feel the need to double check, and those are reported at DPH. 
Uh, and we have the wastewater uh, check, as you all know, reading from both major papers, uh, you know, the MWA and the EPH and you know, other uh, disease um, scientists, you know, look at our wastewater to determine viral loads and can actually uh, find uh, viral DNA. So mm -hmm. some idea where infections are going, even though we don't have mass testing like we did at the beginning. And of course, you know, if you, you know, you have uh, tests at home and you have COVID positive, you know, de definitely please, you know, try to uh, convey that information to Department of Public Health. A lot of these um, COVID ex um, exams have information on the box itself about how to get information to CDC. Uh, this is not a country that's going to come to you and try to put you in quarantine if you're positive, uh, which was a one of the reasons why uh, people didn't want to report their test results and try to avoid uh, PCR tests uh, because they didn't want to go to quarantine. So uh, the, the more accurate numbers are, are quite important because otherwise we're down to relying on hospital uh, intake. So, uh, you know, when you're at a hospital, uh, those of us unfortunate enough to be in the emergency room will have to do a COVID test. So, uh, you know, the, that's the other place where you get the, a lot of your uh, COVID testing data. Right. Yeah. And of course, right here in Quincy, it's going to be uh, back to in-person for Lunar New Year on uh, February 5th, I think, up at North Quincy High School. Yeah. Um, the last time was in 2020. Uh, I missed the one in 2020, February, because I had the flu. Hmm. So uh, it was, uh, I had like a couple of weeks of that cough, cold, wheezing uh, circumstance uh, in early 2020. So I actually didn't have not been at an event since 2018. So uh, I'll be over there. Uh, it's going to be quite a crowded area. I've been much more cautious about mask wearing in high crowded areas. Uh, obviously, I've been mask off uh, at a uh, microphone by myself and for quick uh, pictures around the room, uh, kind of an on and off mask situation for, for fast pictures. Uh, time and duration continues to be a time duration distance of the uh, issues of COVID, right? The longer you're near someone uh, that can spread the viral virus to their um, respiratory system and the amount of time you're with them, it changes the odds of the possibility of getting it. How are things going on Beacon Hill these days, Tacky? Well, it's a little bit of a quiet moment now. Uh, bill filing uh, due dates ended on Friday. So uh, right now, there's a big sigh of relief that bill filing is over and the computer system worked. Uh, obviously, you can still file bills after bill filing deadline. It's called late file bills. But unlike the ones that are been filed on time, those bills are automatically uh, referred uh, to directly to the clerk by both branches for immediate referral recommendations from the clerk to the other committees. Anything late file, you actually have to request the committee of rules on both branches to admit a bill to refer to the committee. So the clerk will be uh, doing mass uh, disbursement of bills at some point probably in six or so weeks uh, to committees. We still have no committee formation yet, uh, both the House and Senate and both political parties have not made committee assignments. Uh, I am expecting perhaps the Senate will go first this time, uh, but there's also a lot of changes. There are five new members of 40, so there's a lot of dynamics. Of course, there's always political dynamics of internal, uh, interpersonal and other type of relationship issues that will influence committee assignments especially in the Senate with a smaller body. Mm. In the House, uh, we still have one outstanding election to determine it. We have uh, Lenny Miro's seat. He's an incumbent in, in... I 
can't remember his district now. He had like a 70% changeover in his district. It was a massive changeover. He found himself in a recount situation where he's down by one vote. So for a little recall, if you didn't read the Globe on this, um, there are two recount situations. Uh, in both instances, uh, the person who lost the recount uh, filed a suit in Superior Court asking uh, for injunction of the other one being seated while seeking the court to make a determination on the, on the uh, ballots. You've all known in the past, you know, courts have injected themselves regarding determination winner based on ballot reveal. Uh, the last time, uh, this most noble time, actually not last, the most noble time with this was actually a congressional race regarding Bill Dunham and Phil Johnson uh, in the congressional primary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The hanging child started in Massachusetts, right? And uh, that was determined by Supreme Judicial Court, not the federal I had court. forgotten about that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Hanging chads, Massachusetts, Quincy, not, uh, not Florida. Um, and we have massive election reform regarding massive machine upgrades, which is the Scantron machine to see today. So the problem that occurs here is that both persons seeking to challenge the vote did so after the vote was certified by the governor's council on December 14th. Oh. You got to challenge the vote. You got challenged before certification, which I'm kind of like, really? It's not like this hasn't been done before. So the Superior Court citing that, well, the vote's been certified. You didn't get here on time. It's up to the House and the Constitution to determine whether you should be seated. The House uh, can decide to seat or not seat a member. So and most recently, uh, the Scars, uh, the Harrington seat up in the Groton area was seated because it was a one, uh, seven vote differential. And uh, Speaker created a special committee composed of uh, Representative Day, Representative Ryan, and uh, Representative Jones, who's the minority leader, to uh, make the determination. Three, they determined that uh, the Harrington seat was clear cut, seven vote win. The Lenny Mira seat. Still a lot of question marks going on over one vote differential. So it's a little tricky for both the House Speaker and the House Minority Leader to do assignments uh, because uh, they would, this isn't a situation where you have a special election seat uh, circumstance where you have an empty seat. This is a situation where you have a pending seat. And both sides would like to have a determination of the actual membership totality before they assign committees. Could they do it with blank spaces? Yes. But that would also indicate that, um, that you know, in the Democrats' case, you know, that, hey, we already decided we want to pick the Democrat in this one, so we're going to leave the seats blank with the anticipation. Oh, I see. Yeah. Republicans have the same problem. They could do yeah. blank spaces, but you know, anticipating getting that seat. So it kind of becomes a weird, like, ooh, is it not or is it so? So I suspect, hopefully, that... Uh, that in next week or so, I'm hoping in next week or so, I suspect that perhaps uh, the three-person committee will make a final determination of whether to seat or to uh, call a special election. Okay, yeah, it just goes to show every vote really does count. Every does every vote matters. Oh, absolutely. Uh, people always dismiss this whole uh, supermajority circumstances uh, at the election level, particularly in Massachusetts, where a supermajority Democrat. But every vote does indeed matter. And uh, every candidate running for office, the quality of the candidate, the quality of the ways they run does matter. Yeah, yeah, especially here at the state level. It's not there's no electoral college at the state level. You know, it's your vote is counted as as a vote. 
Yeah, and I always tell folks it's much more um, close contact, particularly for state representatives, even those with larger geographic districts because of mm -hmm. those smaller population towns. Uh, you know, you get to have a better sense of your local elected. Uh, same thing at the smaller level, be board of selectmen or school mm -hmm. committee or mayor or uh, city councilor uh, or um, any level of small, small committee level. member. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And some some school committees have a district based, not citywide. Mm -hmm. So it gets extremely um, intimate when you have school district based uh, school committee members. And that's a good thing. I, I really believe that voters should have an opportunity to get a feel of uh, their local elected officials. Um, and make it determine uh, if they uh, like, dislike, agree, disagree, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, also be comfortable uh, asking a question to a local elected official about something that uh, is important to them. Yeah, typically uh, school budgets are, you know, <laughs> take up the bulk of a community's budget, so they're spending your money. Mm -hmm. And everyone should have a right to ask questions and uh, get a copy of what they would like to see. Uh, and to, uh, you know, like I said, feel comfortable uh, asking questions. I mean, I, I don't consider myself particularly um, intimidating by any stretch. Uh, and, you know, people have a question, more than happy to, to listen to what the question is. And if I have the answer, I'll tell you. If I don't have the answer, I'll take your number and me or the staff or somebody from, from my office or, or myself will get back to you. And, uh, you know, you guys can imagine, I don't take, uh, I do take calls and uh, sometimes they're not happy people. Which is fine. Um, and, uh, you know, amazing how a bit of a conversation develops. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it helps a lot on uh, calming people, folks, calming people down and uh, you know, try to get a constructive conversation together. And, uh, you know, I, my staff is the same way. You know, we want to ensure that people um, feel comfortable expressing themselves. Again, we not always want to agree, but uh, I think that's crucial. Uh, today's environment where it seems like uh, being not civil uh, is a way of communication now to get what you want. Uh, and uh, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. It's it's interesting cultural change I observe over many years of doing constituent services. Well, social media didn't exist all the time. Well, the feeling is that... Um, I get a lot of issues regarding sensitive matters. I do, trust me. It's not like I don't look at what people send in, uh, but there is a large volume and uh, people tend to forget that you're not the only one in the world who is concerned about this issue, whether you're for and against. Mm. And I understand the importance of the passion of the issue, but the level of insensitivity, uh, not necessarily directed at me, but other people's opinion of the matter is, is, is becoming the norm. Mm. Um, advocates have um, been great. I mean, to provide good information, to provide diverse opinions, but every so often you hit one uh, that you're kind of like, huh, I mean, is this about you or is it about the cause, right? Right. Uh, and uh, that makes you a little nervous because it's like, you know, to get to that point where um, it's no longer being passionate about an important issue, it becomes a name calling and uh, very, uh, uh, how do you put this? A hostel. Yes. Hostel. Yeah. yeah. Um, any bills on your docket you want to talk about, Jackie? Well, staff hasn't killed me regarding bill refiling, right? <laughs> so uh, those, you know, I have, do have some uh, unusual bills out there. One is my data disaggregation bill, like called data equity. To ensure the state actually recognizes all people with different ethnicities, particularly uh, on studies 
and uh, understanding, you know, what services they need. Um, and this is, this is important because I come from a very diverse city, uh, as you all know, and uh, the state is increasingly diverse and a lot of immigrants and uh, first generation born here folks um, at large levels. And, uh, you know, we're not always counted best if you put us in a lump of Asian as opposed to our individual ethnic groups. It becomes much more apparent what different needs are in different communities. I have some language out there regarding certified nursing assistance. For some reason, Red Cross no longer does multilingual testing. Hmm. I would like to restore multilingual testing on certified nursing exams. Um, so, I'm sorry, certified nursing assistant, CNA, certified nursing okay. assistant exams. Yeah. You know, they, so they have multi, multilingual testing of that. Um, you know, I do have some stuff on um, childcare uh, tax rate increases. People are aware that this is a tough issue in today's families. The Biden administration's increase uh, deduct uh, was a deduction or credit. You remember, I don't have children, so I, my brother benefited from this more than I did. Uh, has ended. Um, they had uh, an, a one-year extension last year for that benefit. So we'd like to have some variation at home here. Um, it was something that was actually discussed as part of the big tax package that we didn't pass last year. I'm sure it's going to be coming up again this year. Right. You know, obviously dredging continues to be a very big concern with our coastal community. You know, I do have some information, uh, bills directing dredging, but also, you know, got some language and a few bond bills and some money uh, in opera and surplus to try to cobble together a few dollars for dredging. So, you know, I have a bill to do directed dredging, but also at the same time, been working for several years now, trying to cobble money and trying to go, I'm going to try to convince this new governor to allocate part of uh, the capital budget she has towards dredging of Quincy Bay and surrounding areas, we hope. Um, what are interesting bills? I have a bill updating current bank robbery law, bank robbing laws. It's been a long time since bank robbery laws has been looked at. And also we have no ATM machines, robbery, an empty ATM machines, robbing a bank essentially. Mm. So, you know, some, uh, what I refer to as technical updates. Okay. And, and that's, uh, I think very important that we do, we do things like that. Um, you know, bill regarding, um, more information on, um, uh, continuing education on different professions, including things like real estate. Um, brokers have uh, been seeking some uh, continuing education updates to the profession to reflect the modern world we live in. Um, what else I got? I got some uh, complicated bills. One is regarding this um, subprime loan issue regarding the reverse yield curve. We could sit here for an hour as I'm trying to figure out how to explain that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the current economic environment has created an inverse effect regarding long-term uh, lending and long-term um, investment in bonds and CDs. And it's caused a, an inadvertent effect of creating a subprime loan that isn't a subprime loan. And uh, it's very technical and very complicated. And I suspect what I have on paper may be a, you know, amended a few more times as we're trying to figure what it is. Okay. Um, you know, have an OSHA bill requiring OSHA education requirements for uh, private companies right now, OSHA education requirements is required for public projects, but not for private projects. So I'd like to expand the 10-hour uh, OSHA certification requirement to public to private uh, construction development as well. Uh, again, this is from the uh, South End incident where uh, you had a couple of folks uh, die um, uh, who were putting a drainage system uh, in the South End and basically uh, the uh, the, the street collapsed on them, for lack of a better term. They basically drowned in mud. It was just terrible, terrible incident. That's, that was my motivation for that bill together. So, yeah, there's, that's a small handful of a, a lot of bills. Sounds like it, yeah. Wild. 
and uh, hopefully, you know, some of these bills will look favorably by committee chairs and we can move forward. Okay. Uh, speaking of bond bills, uh, you're aware, of course, the governor filed her own um, massive multi-million dollar um, infrastructure bill. Have you had a chance to look at that? Not really. I think it's like 600, 900, I'm sorry, 900, like 67-ish, man-ish, something yes, like yeah. that. It's not quite a bit. Uh, the economic bond bill we passed this fall uh, was done on a voice vote. It included no bonding. Uh, we were not in session. One person could have objected to the bill moving forward, and we did almost no public policy. So a bond bill was filed by Governor Healy, reflecting the fact that we did not approve a bond bill from the prior session. As you all know, the governor's recommendations on bonds and budgets are dead on arrival, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, waiting for the various committees who are responsible for reviewing these uh, budgetary and bond items to make recommendations what they think should be the spending um, limits and uh, spending on what and uh, whether to decrease or increase the size of the bond bill. So uh, actually, governors can be filing quite a few bond bills. Uh, as part of the economic development bond bill, she also filed a Chapter 90 bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mass Municipal Association was asking we get a head start on that, which provides road and bridge money uh, from the state uh, to municipalities. And, uh, you know, again, we'll consider the size of that bond, uh, whether to increase or decrease or change the disbursement time frame. Uh, and uh, interest rates are up, folks. So that's going to be a part of our consideration as we hear from the state treasurer, uh, what our borrowing rates going to be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so no no rubber stamp just because she's a Democratic governor, <laughs> just like you predicted, Jackie. I think that that uh, Chapter 90 was about $400 million that she filed. Yeah, that's actually a pretty high amount. We haven't done that amount in my uh, time frame. $300 million was the highest amount we've put out. I'm aware the MMA, the Mass Municipal Association, was looking close to $600 million. Yeah. Um, uh, I had this issue regarding Mass Municipal Association, but that's that's a different uh, conversation as well. But, uh, you know, we'll see uh, what our transportation chair considers once we have transportation chairs. Uh, and of course, the bonding chair and the uh, Ways and Means chair uh, afterwards will review the proposals. Uh, I think both leadership teams in both branches would like to get some kind of chapter nine money done sometime before the fiscal year begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can do a two-year disbursements. We do, we do the bond over two-year disbursements. And quite often, um, the bond bill is outside our debt cap uh, because it's kind of a special situation. Uh, and the state will, assu- will assume that debt uh, on those uh, capital projects uh, that are used by the cities and towns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we will take the brunt of the interest rate. And sometimes mm-hmm. people forget that when we do things like this and the school building assistance grants, we're taking the brunt of a good portion of the debt that normally being carried by cities and towns. Uh, I right. think that is sometimes not always conveyed by municipal groups uh, to their local uh, constituencies. And I think it's important that the state delegation sometimes has to remind folks uh, that that's what we're doing. Yeah, no, I think you're right. That that doesn't that doesn't get highlighted. Certainly, uh, only the benefits to the community get highlighted. Well, it's it's great when you go to uh, ribbon cuttings, or if you get invited to a ribbon cutting, sometimes if there is one, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, a reminder of the fact that you know we are the best. I mean, we have the development infrastructure uh, financing programs are still going on in Quincy Center, and uh, I hope that the governor's office will evaluate those programs uh, to allow more. The IFs to occur in communities to, so they can do more economic district improvements in different sectors of their city. So I'm hoping that maybe they'll do another review of that. Uh, again, that is something that state 
provides, but they have to demonstrate collecting tax revenue as a result of this investment, the property tax level, and uh, otherwise, you know, we'll claw back the money. So, right. you know, uh, there are uh, strings attached uh, to many grant bond projects. However, uh, things like Chapter 90 uh, is very specific. Roads and bridges enjoy, don't uh, need to come back. And local aid uh, is unrestricted local aid. We provide that. We also provide Chapter 70 money, which is cash for the cities and towns uh, for their school systems, mm-hmm. providing record numbers of, of uh, Chapter 70 under uh, the latest education reform bill. So mm-hmm. city uh, Quincy has been a huge beneficiary of this. Speaking of, um, I was reading this morning about a bill filed to make school lunches free permanently. How do you feel about that? Yeah, we've uh, done uh, school breakfasts, if I remember, in the last budget. Uh, it was a continuation of a pandemic right. program by the federal government. Uh, we were fortunate enough that we uh, we have sufficient funds to do that. Uh, uh, school lunches for all, I mean, all meals at schools, let's just call it what it is. I mean, we all meals at school. I think it's something we should seriously consider. Um, you know, we're looking at a budget forecast of anywhere between three and six percent revenue growth. I think that's a really broad range, mm. personally speaking. Uh, I think I'd rather see a one percentage uh, range rather than a double range uh, from three to six. So it's it clearly uncertain, cloudy waters regarding yeah. the economy and the what tax revenue growth is. Uh, but obviously, we budget things like this into. Uh, Programs that are municipal programs, really, school lunches and municipal uh, schools are municipally controlled. We do something like school lunches, it has to be a permanent part of a budget. It's something you can't just do and take away. Right. Um, and uh, again, these are pandemic programs that are very valuable. And I think there'll be strong, strong consideration at our level as we try to figure out if we can't afford this program permanently. Again, okay. municipalities themselves could do yep. very much the same program. I remind folks just because. Uh, the state isn't paying for it as municipality it can't. Uh, but I think it's something that, that we definitely definitely must consider and uh, we'll see if we can put inside our budget. Okay, all right. Any indication as to how the uh, so-called uh, millionaire's tax is, is playing out so far? Yeah, uh, listening to the consensus hearing, which I didn't get to listen to all of it because I had meetings during the day, you know, I got at least a part of the, the, the uh, Department of uh, the Department of Revenue Commissioner's report and uh, they're recommending uh, a much smaller figure this year of uh, not quite $200 million, below $200 million. They want to be very conservative because since we don't know how this is going to play out, uh, we don't want to over-budget, um, over-recommend revenue that we don't know what it looks like because it's going to be the first time we're going to do this. And uh, as I said before, uh, lawyers and accountants you know, are going to be able to work overtime and get their money's worth and try to figure out how to keep tax burden low on folks that crack the million dollar mark, you pay 4% more for each dollar. Uh, other organizations have recommended that you know, we put uh, that money aside into separate funds for education, transportation, as opposed to building it into our budget directly. Um, I don't know if that's a good idea just now. I, I would have to give this more thought. Um, but uh, you know, the warning uh, coming out is that you, know, you should be very cautious about building the millionaire's tax uh, into your budget until we have a combination of regulatory uh, issuance by DOR on how this will work, how it will be paid. Uh, and they're considering they're considering something like, for example, they're considering that, you know, get your 5% in first, uh, and if you crack the million dollar mark, they'll, they'll look at you know, how to deal with uh, that surcharge taxes. If you mm-hmm. 
the first year is going to be very rocky on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think after we get past this uh, tax cycle, um, you'll be much more definitive and much more, uh, how to put this, a much more um, clearer in the regulations of how it'll be implemented. So yeah. Yeah, I read a little bit about that report too. And one thing I took from it was that that does not, at least right now, there's not um, this feared mass exodus, you know, of, of uh, millionaires leaving the state so they can avoid the tax. That that doesn't seem to be happening. No, this is a high quality life state. I do understand money equals mobility. Um, you know, that that is true. You have economic means, you can move. That's a fact of life. But also your property values are very high in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So the idea of moving, you have two choices. You're gonna, well, actually you have a lot of means. You got more than one home in many places. Uh, so let's let's call that one what it is. You got a lot of money. You can afford a lot of houses, right? In many different places. So that's not gonna change, right? And uh, likely those folks that uh, do that already have part-time residents in Massachusetts because they already have tax shelter outside mm-hmm. the state. So, I mean, well, let's, let's call it what it is. I think the biggest challenging uh, section is really um, uh, not just home sales, but smaller businesses that are um, LLCs, LLPs, uh, partnerships, sole proprietors, uh, and so forth that are not corporations, uh, not corporate status entities. And you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, trying to demonstrate, trying to figure out how to change the size of their tax burden um, coming through, because uh, part of it is that uh, you not just paying taxes, but you're actually taking deductions for business expenses, mm-hmm. especially if it's a pass-through situation where the revenue uh, passes directly to um, the owner of the business. And then you know they take that out uh, in their Schedule C uh, on business expenses, which gets very complicated and you need an accountant to help you through it all. Yeah. So you know, I think that's the one that's gonna be tricky. Again, I'm a big advocate for corporate status uh, formation. You know, there's hundreds of hundred years of case law and corporate status. Uh, yes, it is a double tax in many ways, uh, but you also get corporate shield ability if you don't uh, screw that up. Uh, but also gives you, in this case, the millionaire's tax, the ability to kind of control uh, your own um, salaries and, uh, you know, obviously control shares. But most most corporations are private companies, not public mm-hmm. companies. So, mm-hmm. you know, the share valuation is not as critical in, in some right. So, but that, that's just me personally speaking. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously people run a business that for tax purposes, financial purposes, uh, f- pick a corporate entity that works best for them. But that's just me. I mean, yeah. yes, that's just my uh, opinion on the matter. Uh, more expensive option uh, gives you much more protection so many different levels, including um, the ability to manage your taxes too. Yeah. Any uh, significant changes in the uh, state income tax code this year that you're aware of, Tacky? Um, not off the top of my head. Um, I'll probably be surprised to you all when you open your TurboTax. In my case, I do my own taxes on TurboTax. So uh, I do rely on software to help me through a, a tax calculation. Um, so uh, I'm not aware of any major changes this year. Uh, we didn't, like I said, we didn't move forward in our tax package last time. I'm not aware of any phased in issues coming in. Uh, the tax rate is still 5%, uh, which is the uh, same tax rate we had back in the 80s. Mm. Um, and uh, other than the millionaire's tax, you know, and we are a flat tax state or now a two-tiered flat tax state. Right. You know, we, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, I'm very hopeful and I would like to, you know, personally, I would like to actually push forward uh, if uh, not all the issues in the tax package we did last year, but at least move forward on issues that actually impact working class people, especially the rental deduction. 
you know, not like it's going to solve all our problems regarding um, the high rents in the area, but, you know, it has been touched in like forever mm. and it needs to go up some. Um, what it is, I'm not sure what the revenue committee is going to suggest and recommend. Uh, I'm hoping this spring, but, you know, that's something, you know, in particular that I'm interested in. Obviously, a child care tax credit, I'm very interested in, uh, you know, earning income tax credit uh, out there that we're very interested in as well. But uh, but child care and rent reduction in particular, um, you know, I will I would like to see something done hopefully uh, the first half of this year. Mm, okay, wait and see how that works out. Has um, the governor finished filling out her uh, cabinet? Do you know? Yeah, she's about done. I think she's at twelve. Uh, okay. She did a health and health and human uh, service uh, health and humans uh, E O H H S health and human executive office health and human services. She's probably going to change the name of that anyway. Yeah, uh, has the ability to change everybody's titles. Um, and I believe it is the CEO of Boston Medical Center um, that's going to take that job. And um, I'm trying to remember the whole thing from Status News Service. I'm, I'm trying to recall it right now, but it's interesting because they have somebody there that has extensive experience operating a massive bureaucracy. And uh, I think that's a very good thing, given the size of a health and human and public health. When you look at the totality, I'm hoping that she hires more private sector uh, administrators for things like DPH and and uh, disease control and uh, so many other sectors in public health, um, because it is a real bureaucracy. And it's not just bureaucracy of the government, it's bureaucracy of dealing with hospitals and health centers and pharmacies and so forth. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not strictly government bureaucracy. You have to know how to uh, interact with other corporate and private bureaucracies also. So I think that's the uh, most important assignment besides administration and finance right now. We are still waiting for the governor's reorganization uh, plan to come to us where uh, we will approve and review and approve the governor's recommendation for the organization of government. Uh, there is still a lot of talk on the Hill that he should break up economic development housing into two secretariats. And of course she can make more secretariats or transfer um, government agencies between secretariats. So. Mm-hmm. We're eager to see what her recommendations are. Uh, You were correct. It is uh, Kate Walsh, president and CEO of Boston Medical Center, and uh, she will head the Executive Office of Health and Human Services. All right. So mostly correct. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My ability to remember names, as you all know, is terrible. Uh, So, but uh, like I said, I'm very, uh, no, I think this would be good. I think this would be a great fit. Again, given the current uh, given the current uh, health crisis ish situation, I find this whole situation very exhausting. Confusing regarding COVID, as you all know, uh, but also other uh, respiratory diseases floating around this winter, mm. uh, and and the challenges to our healthcare systems uh, that have been facing for many years, but you know, particularly the last three years have been extremely strained. So, you know, we'll see how it was that works. So, I think yeah. just about rounding out her secretariats. Well, she created a new post too, right? Climate is a climate chief or a climate executive or something of that nature. Yeah, the purpose of that is to uh, do uh, coordination among government agencies to try to get maximum efficiency uh, on uh, climate change. They try oh, to make right. it as much okay. as possible. However, that secretary is not a secretary until she makes it a secretary by law. Oh, oh, which the legislature has to approve, correct? Yes. Okay. Unless she makes her a special advisor. 
uh, to the governor, which we don't need to approve. Okay. Uh, sometimes those happen. Uh, governor's offices in the past have created a number of special advisor positions within the executive office itself to report mm-hmm. directly to the governor, um, but doesn't really have like cabinet level staff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. And then we have to budget and pay for that cabinet level. Even though you haven't approved it. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one. Um, I don't know how she's doing this. I'm going to suspect she's in the executive branch, executive office's payroll for now. Um, yeah. But again, until we see that reorganization bill, I can't tell you more. You don't know. Right. Exactly. Sure. Um, did you watch um, Mayor Wu's uh, State of the City? Uh, just, just curious. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Curious about how uh, what she said might have impact on the state. Um, the biggest impact, I guess, would be f- free public transportation. Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, I, I think the speaker pretty much spelled it out. And, you know, obviously, uh, uh, the good mayor of Boston uh, tends to forget there's people outside of Boston who is flipping the bill uh, for the MBTA. And I've seen studies, you know, I've not seen, I've heard from my colleagues in Boston that uh, we don't need fares because uh, state subsidization and federal subsidization, if you take that away, um, it just use that money to pay for the T and, you know, get rid of a fair system as a net zero situation. And I'm like, yeah, but did you consider the capital cost? Mm-hmm. And did you consider, you know, the payroll shortage because they have a shortage of workers? Right. You consider a whole, you know the fact you want to do electrification. I mean, it's 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 wonderful ideas, but it's not future looking. It's about like what can I do in the next five minutes? And obviously, you know, we are looking for uh, improvements in our own little world of uh, transportation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to see uh, carbon neutral or carbon reduced um, buses. Uh, I want my red line to work well, not just discussing the orange line all the time. Very thankful that we have a new walls and T station, but I do not have a parking garage at Quincy Center. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, what about us, right? I mean, you talk about, you know, she talks about what her needs are, but uh, the MBTA system uh, brings a million people to Boston pre-COVID, not out of Boston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boston residents are leaving, you know, the area. So, I mean, you know, I get the bus system. Bus systems are a little more concentrated. They're targeted areas. They stay within various geographic zones. They have to have a degree of efficiency with them. I get it. That makes sense. Silver Line with the airport target area, there's a degree of efficiency associated with it. They need to make that more efficient. Uh, but, I mean, the big rail systems in particular will have enormous impact uh, on the surrounding communities, of which the majority of folks go to the city of Boston to provide economic stimulus and uh Right now, the downtown area still is short humans. Um, I can't explain anything. Then, then a lot of workers are not going back to office buildings because, you know, we were hunting for a restaurant for the House Asian Caucus members to meet, and uh, we would like to have some private room, not in the state house, in a relaxed setting, having lunch to talk about our priorities, and. Uh, Pretty much all the nicer or or uh, restaurants who have private rooms are not serving lunch still. Really? Wow. Okay. That's, yeah, that's a reflection of the higher end uh, economic bracket of the workers are not coming into Boston. Right. Still working remotely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not. That means they're not asking for private rooms themselves to do business, nor did lunching uh, in some of the more um, uh, 
nicer restaurants because that's what those private rooms are. They're in those restaurants. Right. Yeah. So it's not worth it for them to offer that. There's just not enough of a market for it. Yeah. And it becomes a restaurant cost that they're actually better not yeah. being open for lunch because it actually saves the money and the bank on higher dinner service. Right. And even right. then, day dinner service is not as uh, vibrant as it is in the weekends. I mean, people talk about, you know, things come back in Boston. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you look at Friday, Saturday and numbers and you know you go most of us going to boston friday and saturday to to go to the theater or or go to museums or go to concerts or go to whatever and uh, you dine is oh it's everything's great well not on a tuesday night right which is really what pays the bills is is you know <laughs> steady stream of customers not not one or two nights absolutely well not expecting a pack room on a what tuesday wednesday you do right. expect perhaps 30 percent capacity and you build that into your business plan and uh, i didn't realize it was still that way until we actually had to go hunt for um, uh, a luncheon room for the caucus yeah that's interesting i hadn't heard that yeah. either yeah we were struggling um to try to find a place and uh to be honest with you and had doing an event Meaning, you know, not a luncheon. I had to do literally what it sounds like. I had to pay for an event price mm-hmm. um, to host a luncheon in a room uh, to be able to, to you know, discuss business in a relaxed setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was kind of like annoying, to be honest with you, but that's what we had to do. So uh, I started the first luncheon. Uh, I'm going to try to encourage my other colleagues in the caucus to, you can host the second one. <laughs> You could try to figure out where we can go for lunch. Yes, yeah, you maybe someplace on the North Shore would be more available. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when it seems to when it comes to public transportation, it would seem to me that we could learn things from what's going on in Europe because they have really got it down to a science. It is just it's vastly better. Oh yes, and they pay for it. Yeah, I mean, we are still the lowest among the lowest uh, public transit fares. And that has always been one of the major problems where one of two places of flat fares for the entire system, us in New York City. But New York's a little bit different. There's a whole different infrastructure, how they do it there. It is another old system. But uh, other places do distance-based fares. You say distance-based fares in Massachusetts, you know, a lynch mob's coming for you. <laughs> I've been around a a lot of fare increase hearings in my life uh, in Quincy and at the Stales. And uh, the peep of an idea of a fare increase causes absolute fear among constituents. And you even suggest the idea of distance based is uh, even greater fear. But the reality is that and you can look at the MBTA budgets online. The pre-COVID situation has always been rising costs and a cap out on how much you can collect in fares because you can only put so many people on trains and buses pre-COVID. Mm. During COVID, obviously, that was a different problem. Mm. And we also discussed how the federal government's assistance to public transit was based on 2018 fiscal year numbers, not the most modern ones, not even 19 or 20. And then, uh, you know, now, uh, yeah, people are on the trains. I mean, but Wallace and Lott, uh, which I use my indicator at Wallace Station, um, sometimes it's full, but often more not not as full. Yeah, and it, I, I am aware that it's a sixty percent pedestrian station, uh, and I do am aware that people from Milton uh, locales use the parking parking in Wallace and other uh, other garages. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, it's an indication that, uh, you know, traveling to Boston is not the same. And also, some of these folks travel locally, just going from uh, Quincy, uh, Wallston to North Quincy or Wallston to Quincy Center. Yeah, 
I also think some folks just aren't comfortable yet on public transportation. It's, you know, indicative of the increased uh, motor vehicle traffic. Absolutely correct. Traffic has definitely increased, particularly on the, the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. A little bit lighter once you get to, I don't want to say a lot lighter, that would be false. But, I mean, it seems a little lighter on uh, the weekends. And mm-hmm. and uh, you do uh, have, you know, again, hours are odd. I mean, if I'm in Boston at 9 a.m., but I need to get back to someplace at 3 p.m. in Quincy, which I'm back doing these uh, road trips. Um, you know, I have to get out of the standouts before two. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Assume an hour trying to get through uh, the back bay, uh, south bay. I'm sorry, not back bay, south bay connector on yeah. especially where we get all clogged up. And if you try to go down uh, southie to bypass, you're actually spending more time now to try it through because everyone else has figured out to do the selfie bypass. So there's almost like no point to it anymore. Your, your choice is sitting at red lights or sitting trying to get onto the on ramp. Right. Yep. Be nice to be able to hop on a ferry, wouldn't it? Well, hey, I mean, uh, I'm not a boat guy. I think I've reviewed that more than once to constituents at home. I'm, I'm, I have this weird issue of water and heights. But uh, that being said, I mean, ferry service for Swan Point Park continues to be a big priority, especially for uh, Bruce and uh, John, who's working on that project. I'm just kind of the support on the edge mm-hmm. and uh, the importance of trying to get those you know, ferry services to to, uh, to uh, Long Wharf. Um, but also, you know, it would be ideal we could get one to Logan Airport. I remember many years ago, we did have a Logan Airport uh, show. I loved that. It was the Harbor Express commuter boat. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, again, it's a, you need a majorly subsidized boats. Mm-hmm. Boats are not cheap, but maybe you should bring Michael Morris to the DEM board to discuss boat maintenance, travel, and cost. Uh, and, of course, now the gas price is extremely high. And, yeah. uh, if I remember correctly, I'm trying to remember how this works, but one of the subsidies providers to allow um, our boat contractors to uh, be able to take advantage of the bulk rate purchasing of fuel uh, that the MBTA has to try to help uh, lower oh. it with that. Yeah. Hmm. You know, but, you, you know, again, people will not want to pay for things. The argument of it, why should I give you more money for crap service? Fair argument, but we don't have any money, so you're going to get crap service. Yeah, it's, it's like a catch-22 situation, you know. Uh, oh, no, no one says that part of the argument, right? It's, it does <laughs> invert as well. There is an inverse of the same argument. You, you get, you're going to get crap service because there's no money. Right. Well, yeah. just magically make it happen, Tacky. <laughs> well, people tend to think one way, but doesn't think the counter-argument. As we've discussed more than once about this, yeah. conversations that we have in the world, if I present the counter-argument, they pretty much want to lynch me at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, we're sending tanks to Ukraine. Yeah, I am not a big fan of this. I think I've talked oh, really? about it before. Yeah, I, I don't like the idea of sending sensitive military equipment um, to Ukraine. Uh, too many bad things could happen uh, with that equipment. Uh, we talk about it with the Patriot missile system. I get it. Uh, it is the best defense system on the planet, to my knowledge, regarding interception of missiles and drones and anything else that flies through the air. But again, it's your proprietary, unique military secrets of how that works. And uh, I believe the Abram tank, uh, Abram tank, uh, as demonstrated over and over and over again, in open field combat is the scariest thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, you put that tank in an open field situation, um, opposing armor, it, 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 they're dead. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just my opinion. I mean, watching uh, the Gulf Wars, um, using them in combat in other locales. Um, you don't want to be, if you're on the opposing side, you don't want to face down a U.S. able. But again, you know, it's, it's to me, it's all about military sensitivity and secrets. And 
you know, Ukraine is not what you call a uh, up and up government. It's a rather corrupt government. <laughs> People, forget. yeah, that's that's been overshadowed, but that's been a, the, the case for way before this war started. Oh yeah, it was very corrupt before this war started. Yeah. Uh, President Putin was banking on uh, it being a corrupt government to have the people come with open arms be taken over by Russians. Right. Clearly, he didn't, he didn't understand that people think their corruption problems are theirs to solve, not right. Russia's to solve by taking over the country. So, and I believe that people should have uh, the ability to solve their own problems. Uh, and if your government's a problem, we'll let the people in that democracy decide how to solve it. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the difference. It was a sovereign nation, democratic nation, right? Yeah, and their people like to be a democratic sovereign nation to solve their own problems. Uh, so uh, Putin completely miscalculated that. Uh, but you know the leopard tanks. Um, what's what's the one? Is it what's the Russia UK ones? The uh, Defender. Is that what the UK ones are? I'm not sure about the name of it, but yeah, they're sending yeah. some too. Yeah, UK sending some. You're throwing the Abrams. It's a far cry from the tanks they want. I mean, the Ukrainians looking for hundreds. We're sending dozens. But I mean, yeah, thirty-one, talking? I think, was the number. Yeah. Yeah, but they're dozens of superior equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to have to use it like they did with the HIMARS uh, as well in, in strategic usage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they can't do the whole, you know, we're just going to run you over with 100 tanks coming down the, the fields. Uh, they're going to have to do the strategic usage of this stuff because, you know, we're not replacing them or to my knowledge, we're not replacing whatever gets blown up. Right. And this will actually be interesting as well as a proxy war now because that's what this really is in the end of a testing uh, so-called uh, Western technology against Russian and North Korean Iranian technology, it appears. And, uh, you know, obviously U.S., a lot of U.S. equipment has been battle-tested in Afghanistan, Iraq, and so many parts of the world. So it's not like, you know, we don't know if it works or not. But some of the other ones, particularly the, with the, uh, the British and German equipment, hasn't been in full battlefield uh, settings before. Uh, hmm. And actually not U.S., British or German or Polish or any you know, NATO operator, but Ukrainian operators. And we'll see if the um, change in operator of the vehicle uh, changes its performance. I would tell hmm. you, yes. No, very interesting. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. That's a very good point. Yeah, it's absolutely. Not just, not just the equipment. It's the it's the people using it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to receive very short training time. I yeah. mean, you know, U.S. military personnel operating A1 tank is not exactly like, here. here's two weeks and here you go. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they're, they're trained. I mean, they spend a lot of time with these vehicles to, to understand, you know, the, all the intricacies before they go into combat. Yes. Yeah. Ukrainians are going to get much, much, much shorter time period than U.S. personnel or British or German or Polish or any NATO personnel regarding usage of this equipment uh, and have to be experts in a very short period of time. Mm, yeah. One thing I, I think was very revealing was that, um, that the, some of the Russian equipment dated back to the Second World War. It really kind of, uh, you know, pulled the, the spotlight, the, the curtain back on on how how the Russians maintain their military. Yeah, this is the whole, the myth of numbers, right? And I used the Saddam Hussein um, back in Gulf War One. you know, the fifth biggest army in the planet, you know, had like, you know, number top 10 number of armor and all that. It's not the issue of how much you have. The issue is what you have. Mm. And uh, the, uh, the Russians have taken all old Soviet equipment, added to the bottom eight numbers, the bottom numbers to have the largest armored and mobile armored uh, units in the world. I mean, by far none. But they're counting all this obsolete equipment today that has been proven completely ineffective against modern equipment, including um, javelins, you know, and, and the... Um, 
Now I'm losing my mind. What's the other one? The one, the tank busters. Is, the, is that Javelin? I can't remember right now, but I anyway. Mean, anyway, it doesn't matter. We, we can bust tanks. Um, and uh, the ablet of armor on, the, on these uh, tanks, they just slap on the edges. We discovered it was made of cardboard in some cases. It was almost like, really? So obviously corruption uh, in the military is a big problem regarding, um, I don't know, safe equipment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of all places, corruption is a problem. You know, putting cardboard as ablet of armor in tanks is not, uh, is not good. Um, no. No, not you've been getting shot at by real tanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, numbers uh, don't matter. It's the quality of the equipment you have. And uh, other countries that are concerned about the U.S. military, NATO military, NATO military is watching this very carefully because, uh, you know, even though they've upgraded their weapon systems, uh, you know, their weapons have not been battle tested uh, mm-hmm. like the U.S. equipment. Um, and NATO, a lot of NATO equipment have not had equal battle testing. So mm-hmm. even though it's not uh, NATO or American operators of these uh, vehicles, you know, as we've seen by other equipment that's been sent over here by you know, NATO nations, uh, it's proven to be incredibly effective. Yeah, yeah. We are at the end of our time, Techie, um, but we uh, need to let folks know how to get a hold of you. Yep, no changes, folks. Still in room 42 at the State House, uh, 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. Feel free to give the office a call and smash a button. I'm at this point where it's kind of like if you get the automated system, just hit anything and get a person. Uh, you can also uh, email me at tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y.chan at mahouse.gov. And uh, the co-sponsoring email requests are coming in hot and heavy. And we should talk. We should try to do a, a session where I, uh, of us where I open my email and see how many emails pop up in the time period we're chatting. Give you oh, idea. that might be kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll do that next time. We'll, we'll set the timer on my email. You guys get a clue exactly how many things fly into my email box. That might be quite a pretty revealing, actually. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we have State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook at Tacky Chan. Uh, which is a Twitter, please do not, uh, please don't social media contact. Just contact by email or phone. Uh, it's always preferable. Either one, phone, especially right now with the email drive, uh, malegislature.gov. If you'd like to take a look at the bills I filed, they're up online. Just, uh, you just actually have to just type my name in the search and I will come up. Uh, and of course, uh, tackychen.org uh, is the uh, privately owned website that we use because the state, for some reason, doesn't let me to modify my own website on the state website. So no. it's a whole different information technology conversation of what I'm allowed to do uh, uh, on that front. So, you know, uh, it's uh, it's a gloomy day today uh, outside, but, uh, you know, obviously I wish you all a wonderful weekend. And those who celebrate the Lunar New Year, you know, I wish you a great start of the year to rabbit. Uh, uh, horoscope says the year the rabbit's going to be a lot of challenges and we're going to overcome them okay there's some optimistic uh, news to look forward to yep so i'll see you at about a week's ish time joe yes yeah, sounds good it'll be february by then tacky yeah yeah Val- valentine's day is only a few weeks so you're gonna be my valentine is that what's gonna happen next uh Maybe some candy. <laughs> <laughs> but you're sweet enough, you're supposed to say, right, Jackie? <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week.